0: They're so good, they make us want to sing, like...
1: I can't believe it. Burger King made a grill, with 100% made flame anytime you want.
0: This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the Dollar Grill Dog deal and get a classic grill dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for another episode. This episode is a version of The Eliminated, which focuses entirely on the Chicago Bulls. I was lucky enough to secure two guests that I really wanted to have on and that they were able to and wanted to record together. So we have Brian Schroeder of Hardwood Paroxysm and Bulls by the Horns and Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders. And we go really in-depth on the Bulls. We go all sorts of topics, with the free agent possibilities this summer, Nikola Muratich, and that first part of the conversation went a little bit over an hour, went on a lot of different topics, and then that evening, so this was Saturday night, Sunday morning, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Wolves were considering moving Kevin Love for the first time, and that the Bulls were a serious possibility in terms of getting him. So the three of us talked and we decided to record another little session. So we did 25 minutes on that. So it tells about an hour 25 plus or minus a little bit. I really, one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on the podcast went in a lot of fun directions and each of us gets challenged and we say our own pieces and we have differing opinions and I let the Bulls experts do what they're going to do. But it was so much fun to do. I really hope that you enjoy it. I, we had an absolute blast recording both days. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on.
1: You're welcome. Hey,
2: good to be here.
0: So <laughs> I, th- I think the, the best place to start with the Bulls is to get a little bit of a sense of where they're going to be going into the summer salary cap wise. And I figure I might as well start with Nate on that.
2: Is, is this before or after they re-signed Kirk Heinrich to the full mid-level exception? Let's say, let's say it's
0: before.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, so I mean, let's see. Let's look at who the free agents are. Kurt Heinrich obviously is a free agent, and then he's he's really the only major guy. Uh, I guess DJ Augustin is is the other one, and then you know, sort of more bit players like Jimmer Fredette, and then of course there's the issue that uh, Carlos Boozer might be amnestied. So those are those are the main guys, at least the only ones that I have on my spreadsheet that I created for this that I think the Bulls might consider bringing back.
0: Brian, who do you think they'll bring back, if anybody of that
1: group? Well, you know, if Heinrich uh, manages to take a huge pay cut and sacrifice for the team to take the full LLE, I'm sure the Bulls will have him. Just, <laughs> he'll be back. It's it's I can't imagine he won't be. Just the way everyone in the organization talks about him, his, his value is Lower than it's ever been, so I don't think they're gonna have many suitors for him, unless the Bucks feel like outbidding themselves again. So I... it's hard to envision him not returning, unless they get incredibly aggressive and try to get Mello and Miritich and Lance Stevenson out.
2: <laughs> well, unless unless
1: they unless they just come come back with incredible depth, he's, he's gonna be back.
2: So Brian, where do you fall on the level of Kirk Heinrich hatred among? Bulls bloggers. Are you sort of at like a zero, you know, he's actually okay, or are you at like, you know, a full on Bulls blogger level ten?
1: I'm I oscillate. Sometimes there are times especially, specifically the first like four months this past season, I was probably like a fourteen on the scale of one to ten. <laughs> but but I, I'm okay with him he he was playing he played alright the last six weeks or so. I mean he shot significantly better. He wasn't shooting in the you know, low thirties he was a lot more bearable. He wasn't shooting 11, 12 times a game either. He was shooting near the end. He was shooting a lot less than Augustine was. And it worked. So I'm, I'm okay with him as the third at the fourth guard. He should be, which is what he should be. But I don't know. I just yeah, I I mean, feel like the, my biggest problem with Heinrich is less him than it is the perception that he's still good and useful. And he's not really.
2: Yeah. But my position on him is, yeah, if you want to bring him back at, at the minimum, absolutely. Absolutely if you're going to at all create any kind of opportunity cost by paying him more than that, then it's not a good idea. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That makes
0: sense. Uh, But so, yeah, in terms of the free agent class, we'll get into some of that later. But the big question for me with the Bulls is Carlos Boozer. And so I want to phrase it to you and we'll start with Brian in two, in the form of two questions. One is what would you do with Carlos Boozer if
1: you were in control of
0: the situation? And what do you expect the front office to actually do?
1: Uh, I would amnesty him. Just not even because he's decided the average player, but the options they have this year, none of them will really work without amnestying him. So that for that reason alone, he'd be gone. And that's why I assume that they'll amnesty him. Seems like they will. Seems like nobody... Who's really, I don't really understand who in the organization is going to have his back. Not like... He's burned bridges, or they all hate him, but Tibbs obviously isn't the fondest of him. He just prefers to play Gibson. And it's not like... You you never really hear about... You know, compared to Heinrich. Heinrich's kind of the golden boy. You never really hear anyone in the organization defending Carlos Boozer too aggressively. So I
2: think he'll be gone. I I mean, I think it's fait accompli that he's going to be gone. It it better be. I I mean, there's just... Mm -hmm. There's no possible basketball reason, you know, Bulls Bulls fans love that term after Gar Foreman used it to justify some of the departures in the summer of 2012, but there's no basketball reason for him to be on the team next year. I think they're, and and this may be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I I think either one of two things needs to happen. Either they trade him for Carmelo, and if the Knicks are willing, and if and the bulls would probably have to throw in some more assets to do that. I think I would be willing to do so because that would enable them to stay over the cap and use their full mid-level exception, uh, potentially on Nikola Mirotic and, and maybe even to uh, to shoehorn someone else in there. So that would be number one. And then if they can't do that, then you got to trade him. If they simply trade him away with an asset to do nothing but just get under the caps, that would be pretty criminal in my view. And although I'm someone who has defended the organization throughout the years against the accusations of cheapness, because I think most, if not all of their, well, probably not all, but most of their moves, you know, such as not re-signing a chic, are justifiable for basketball reasons. If they give up an asset to just dump Boozer and they don't get Carmelo in return, that would be basically just totally emphasizing financial profits over what's best for the team on the floor.
0: Do you agree with that, Brian?
1: Yeah. I also think that uh, Kelly Dwyer wrote once that it's not like... It's it's not as though the Bulls are obviously making decisions based on finances. It's a, it's it's sort of a kind of on the back burner. It's sort of an inspiration for everything, and and it, each individual move is justifiable. But together, it all kind of paints a picture that there is a sense of cheapness that probably shouldn't be there for a team in this market. But
0: yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing because I know that the Bulls, their ticket sales have been good and things like that, and. The other interesting parallel is that the Warriors in some ways established a precedent of unloading an expiring contract and paying the, basically you could say they gave up two first round picks to do two contracts, but you know, mm-hmm. giving up a first round pick to give up a bad contract and the Bulls have two of those, but I think that would be more egregious considering they have the amnesty there to work from.
2: Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I completely agree. You know, I mean, that was the whole problem with the Warriors. They wasted the amnesty and so they they had to pay. I mean, Uh, so no I agree
0: so we'll move on to free agency and as we've said the Carlos Boozer situation looms over that and we've already come Carmelo's already come across but we'll we'll leave Miritich aside for a second what players that are on other teams do you think would make sense if this team has some cap space to work from
2: I the three guys that I would target one is Carmelo obviously and then after that Especially, I mean, I don't think you can leave out Miritich because you need to. He is someone who, if you're not going to, if your only option is to get Carmelo by going under the cap, then you're probably going to sacrifice Miritich. And that's, you know, all right, you have to do that, even though I, I really like him a lot. I think, though, you need to assume that you're getting Miritich because then you look at the team needs. They don't really need a big man at that point because they'll have Gibson and Noah and Mirtich and then Greg Smith and you know maybe they can they can get a another big man at the minimum. So you're really looking at guys at the one through three positions. And to my to my view the other than Carmelo, the only two guys that I really would want to spend up to you know over seven million dollars a year or so on for this team are Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas. Now, people might say, well, wait a minute. You know, they already have Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is big enough that I think he can competently defend most two guards in the league. It's not really that strong of an offensive position these days. They're going to have Jimmy Butler on the roster to really take whoever the tough wing guy is for the other team. So, and I think even if Derrick Rose does get caught in a tough matchup, if he's he- if he's healthy, which is you know pretty much what the assumption has to be going forward for this team, because so many assets are tied up in him. If he's healthy, then he should be able to blow by whatever bigger guy is guarding him. And so, what I like about Thomas and Lowry is both of them can shoot. And then also, if Rose is injured, then you still have a pretty decent point guard as well. I I would love to see this team with two guys who can attack off the dribble, and as I said, both those guys can shoot, which is something that you really need if you're going to be playing Rose and Butler at the same time uh, along with them.
0: Brian, are there yeah. any other names that, that uh, you're intrigued by?
1: Well, as far as bigger pre-agents go, I think Lowry is sort of the ideal if Melo is not an option. and uh, Smaller free agents I mean, the problem with bringing back Heinrich is that there's always going to be better options, and I think Sean Livingston would be a good one, or... Potentially Grievous Vasquez. I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, I
2: just, I don't like, I don't, I mean, I just don't like anyone who can't shoot. Like, if you can't shoot threes, I'm not interested in signing you. The summer. <laughs> Brian Roberts they might just, be available, and he'd be a nice fourth or fifth guard. But
1: yeah, know, I'm I mean, just thinking
2: just, of just yeah, thinking of guys who
1: would fill out the roster at the end. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. No, I mean that. I guess that's a different that's a different conversation. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if well, you what? if you're going to be a major guy and you can't shoot. I'm not interested in you because the Bulls just have too many guys like that already. It doesn't matter if the guy himself is good in, uh, in and of himself, he's not going to work with the guys they already have in the roster because they're just going to be facing a pact in pain all the time.
1: Well, you know, Kyle Lowry is not a world beating shooter, but
2: yeah, I mean, think he almost, almost 50% of his shots from three this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. He definitely has gotten, he's become more of a shooter lately, but uh, I, I I don't think there's any even a any chance at all. But Gordon Hayward still hasn't signed his extension, has he?
0: No. And the other name that I, I'm guessing it's a no, but I wanted to throw out there just for my own amusement is Luol Dang.
1: Well, I mean, I'd be happy with it, but I don't think anyone else would be.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I considered that too, and and the reason I'm not interested in him is because, again, just the lack of shooting. Uh, I mean, they yeah. just it's, they just need someone who can shoot the ball. I mean if they if they had Miritich as the starter, maybe Dang, if he were going to come back on a true value contract after they struck out with everyone else might be okay because Miracic's shooting at the four would would add so much. Uh, but you know, Miritich isn't gonna be you know, he's probably only gonna play half the game at most, uh with Taj Gibson there who obviously deserves a lot of playing time as well.
0: Can Taj log how many minutes a game would you feel comfortable with him logging as the as the center, so like theoretically Taj and Miritich playing
1: together? I'm not sure of any. I don't know. Taj plays a lot bigger than he is, but he's not that big.
2: And I think it'd be fine against the other team's backups.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most backup centers aren't gonna be longer than he is, so yeah. But or the ones who are aren't gonna be able to do anything with it. Like Yah Mahimi's not gonna be scoring on Taj, you to like crazy. But <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd be much more well, that's that's unfair. That's my bias towards Greg Smith who is a lot bigger than Taj, but he's also not very good defensively.
0: So the other the other kind of elephant in the room we've already talked about him a little bit is Nikola Miritich, and Nate wrote a piece on the the salary feasibility of that and I was hoping for those for those who haven't gone through it yet Nate if you could walk through quickly just the the challenges with a guy who's coming who was a first round pick but is now outside of the scale possibility well he could be scaled but he doesn't have to be
2: yeah well so what I think really it might help us just to get some context for all this of what the Bulls salary structure is. I, I sent you guys around a spreadsheet last night. So basically, there, and I, I added a few assumptions. If the Bulls were to amnesty Boozer, and then including the fact, and the assumption is uh, that Joachim Noah's, if he made $500,000 this year at, for his incentive as defensive player of the year, or first team all defense, I can't remember which one it was. So that means then that that incentive is going to be. Included in his cap number next year, so he goes up by five hundred thousand. If Taj Gibson makes second team all defense, which he is expected to do in some circles, he his cap he makes two hundred fifty thousand this year, so his cap number goes up by two fifty next year. So including that, and then I also assumed that Heinrich is renounced, or uh, because his cap hold would be well over four million dollars, which would be quite throttling. So if he's <sighs> renounced it renounced or immediately re-signed to the minimum. You know, so he's he's basically off. And then uh DJ Augustine I assume that he was gonna be renounced because the Bulls don't have his bird rights anyway, so you might as well have the rookie minimum cap hold of nobody on there, which is five hundred and seven thousand, instead of his cap hold which would be uh a little over nine hundred thousand. So assuming all of that happens, and then you also, the other issue is whether Miritich's cap hold comes on or not, that would be about a million dollars. So assuming assuming that all of that is on there, that leaves the Bulls with a team salary of a little under $53 million. The cap is projected to be at $63 million. So they've got about $10.2 million in cap room to sign people, after Boozer is Amnesty. So that's sort of where we're starting from here mm-hmm. in all of these discussions. So now with Miritich, the issue is that he has a buyout with Real Madrid of 2.5 million euros, which is about $3.4 million. And he also, so his rookie scale amount, which would be a little over a million, that's not going to get it done to get him over here because he has to pay for the buyout essentially out of his new contract. So what's going to happen then is he needs to get, if they're going to sign him, they can go above the rookie scale, but they need to do at least a three-year contract to do that. That means that they cannot use the $2.7 million room exception for teams that are under the cap because that contract is limited to two years and probably wouldn't be enough to entice him anyway with that buyout. So their two options for bringing over Miritich are either getting under the cap, like we talked about, and using some of that cap room on him, likely $3.5 million at a minimum, possibly more, and or they stay over the cap, like in the scenario where they trade Boozer for Carmelo and then can use part of the mid-level exception on Miritich. So those are your two ways of getting Miritich here.
0: Yeah, and it's it's definitely interesting because the other factor that lingers over everything is the idea of the moratorium. So that means that th- wh- while they do have to make the decision early in terms of amnesty, they do have that window to kind of see where things are going before everything actually has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um. So then, what's so so that's pretty much mm-hmm. Mirtich. So Brian, if you do you think that it's he's worth it to bring over? Let's say it takes four million <coughs> to bring him over. Is that something that that you're okay with in most circumstances.
1: Well, yeah, I just I feel like it's time to bring him over. It was time to bring Ashik over when it was time, and, and that worked out pretty well. And it just he needs to he needs to be over for his sake. He needs to come over because he's not going to be able to get his big payday like like Nate wrote if he doesn't come over quickly. It'll take longer and longer the longer he waits, obviously. And he just he's in his he's twenty three. He needs to. It's it's worth seeing what kind of asset he is at this point. And I'm not really sure what else he can do. I know he likes playing in the EuroLeague, but I'm not really sure he sort of kind of reached the pinnacle of what he could be there, I think, at least from what I've seen.
2: They're actually playing in the in the final, game, final of the EuroLeague Final Four tomorrow yep. against Maccabi Tel Aviv. They're going to be pretty massive favorites in that game. So if they win, uh, there's been some talk that that would make him more likely to come over since he would kind of have accomplished what he yeah. would have wanted to in in Europe and what you said about his motivations as far as getting over here, getting that first contract over with is is a good point as well. And I think that given the skills that he has shown, there may be an adjustment period, but I, as I've made clear so far, I love shooting. He's a stretch four. He's just an absolute (laughs) knockdown shooter. You know, there are going to be some questions about his defense and probably his defensive rebounding, but he is someone who could really, really goose the Bulls' offense. And because the Bulls have some limitations on how much they can pay him and also the fact that they have his draft rights, so he's the only one they can – or uh, the Bulls are the only ones that he can negotiate with, mm-hmm. that means that they're going to get him for a much cheaper contract than he could get on the open market. And I think yep. spending money on him is going to be much more cost-effective, getting him at a number like $4 million, even five million I think on the open market he might be an eight million dollar a year player so he you're just much more effective spending money on him than you are really on any free agent except for potentially Carmelo yeah so so I would say unless the Bulls are the only way to get Carmelo is to go under the cap jettison a few more contracts get to about 15 million and then Carmelo is willing to Start at 15 million, which you know he probably wouldn't be, but maybe he is. Unless you're going to pursue that specific scenario, I want that cap room, some of it used on Miritich because it's the most efficient way to use it.
1: I I, I feel like I agree. If if they're going to be that aggressive and go after Carmelo and Miritich, and I'm all for it, but uh, I'll believe that when I see it from the Bulls. First, the next time that they're really aggressive in free and snatch up all these big targets will be the first time. So. But I feel like there's a lot of people who think the, the Bulls should take Doug McDermott if he's available. He wouldn't be, and Mirtich is that player, but probably better and he's much larger. So I just feel like he fits, and it's it just it's time.
0: Well, and and the other thing that I find really interesting about the possibility of the of the Knicks making the deal with the Bulls is that the Knicks don't really have functional cap room. So if they make the decision that they don't want to make the long-term commitment to Mel, which I actually think is justified. I've written that before. It would be a very interesting move to get Boozer, but then the other question is, what would make sense as a sweetener there? Because obviously they're doing a favor to a team in their in their own conference, and Boozer, by all accounts, is overpaid. So, what kind of sweeteners would you guys be willing to put in there to make to make a deal that makes sense for both sides?
2: Probably anything below. Taj Gibson. Uh, certainly the, fir- the two first-rounders, I'd be willing to do that uh, if it meant getting Carmelo. And that's realistically I, I, I think at least from the from the Bulls and Carmelo's perspective, that's probably the only way to do it because that's really, unless they get rid of Taj Gibson, which I would not be in favor of, that's really the only way to pay Carmelo $20 million or above is if they, they either trade and extend him or uh, sign and trade. Um, now of course whether phil jackson i don't know that many 68 year olds who are really that interested in playing the the long game so maybe phil jackson you know is just not going to do that and you know jim dolan (laughs) even more so probably not willing to do that but in terms of what would be fair to give up because you also also remember now if you do the trade you're enabling miritich to come over a year earlier as well because now you can sign him to the mid-level exception there's Really, that's the only scenario if you do that trade under which you can get Miritich and Boozer. So I'd be willing to throw in both first-rounders this year, or maybe one first-rounder this year, one first-rounder next year. Or I might be willing to even go as far as trading Jimmy Butler, who, let's remember, is about to get a lot more expensive uh, with him being extension-eligible this year and, and a restricted free agent next summer, as long as the Bulls could get back one of New York's wings who is at least somewhat competent uh, because they're going to need some wings as, as well. So yeah. I, I would be willing because that scenario enables you to get both Carmelo and Miritich, I'd be willing to give up uh, quite a bit.
1: Uh, I feel like the, Brian, the two first round picks would be just kind of, at least one of them would be necessary. I think most of the haul from the dang trade probably would probably be possible. Yeah, anything yeah, short that's of Times. Right. Really... I forgot
2: they have those still in the future too, so that makes it easier to give those up. That's a good point.
1: I'm not crazy but unless unless they got I guess Shumpert. but I, I'm not sure about Butler for Shumpert. That seems like a lateral move. But uh, <clears throat> Yeah, anything short of Gibson's really really fine. I, trading Boozer and Gibson for Melo would just kinda of pointless. Unless there's mm-hmm. <laughs> something about Todd that we don't know, but I feel like I feel like that would be probably fair. I imagine the Knicks wouldn't do that, just as you mentioned, I imagine Dolan wouldn't want to do that, but I, uh, I also don't think Phil is ex- exactly enamored with the concept of Carlos Buzer, but it's possible, it's possible, the Knicks, they don't really know what their plan is, so you could, you could see.
0: Well, and the the thing with the Knicks is that they're probably – I don't think there's any real way that they're going to get any big free agents other than Carmelo this summer. So basically what that allows them to do is it allows them to be more relevant next year without committing any bad long-term money to Carmelo. And so that's an interesting idea, though I think if they're going to go that route, why the Bulls need that sweeteners is that they could move Carmelo probably unless he has a horrible year. They could just trade him next year to a team with space – and then you know trade him in 2015 to a team with space and get assets unless the Bulls give up more to, to make that happen now.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, so, you're talking about at the trade deadline in 20 in the 2015.
0: Yeah, or after the season itself, you know may, maybe they arrange a deal during the moratorium and then because let's say they have a, conversations with Kevin Love or somebody else and they say hey you know if we have space would you be interested and then some team is going to see Carmelo as an asset. I actually was talking with Amin. El Hassan of ESPN about the idea of the Nene test. It's basically, is a guy's value enough that you consider him an asset on his contract? And I think it's hard to argue that even at the max, as much as I think that he would be overpaid, that there wouldn't be some team that would be sitting there going, hey, we can get Carmelo. He doesn't have a no trade. That sounds pretty great. So I think they'd be able to find somebody.
2: Well, it all, it all depends on, and this gets into something else you wanted to talk about, where your team is in the success cycle, right? I mean, I think for the Knicks, where they are right now, if they gave Carmelo his true max, which I, I haven't looked at it recently, but I think you know that's gonna be 22 starting at 22, 23 million. He's probably been making about 30 million by the end of that deal, five years, and he's 30 right now. That's gonna just kill the Knicks, right? That's gonna be a massive overpay. Like that's just gonna leave them where they are, and it leaves them with so much of their cap clogged up that even if they have this 2015 plan they probably aren't going to be able to execute it because Carmelo is making so much just like Kobe is making so much now for the Lakers. For the Bulls, a four-year contract, which is the most that they could give him starting at at his individual max, makes a lot more sense because the Bulls realistically could compete over the next two or three years, and it doesn't matter as much that Carmelo is probably going to be pretty massively overpaid starting in year two and certainly year three and year four of that deal because they're in a situation where, you know, they're going for it, and if Derrick Rose is healthy, that's a very bonafide championship contender over the next two years with Melo and Rose, and then Noah and Gibson, and hopefully Miritich as well,
0: and and maybe Jimmy Butler too. So let's let's go. I know we don't want to go too specifically into the draft, but just if there's anybody who's caught your eye as making sense for this Bulls team or anybody that's caught your eye in the negative way of saying, Oh, you know, that guy's popular, but I don't think he makes sense with this team.
1: We'll start with Brian. Well, TJ Warren's been bounced around in there. And I think that'd be, he can't shoot. So I'm not sure if he's the best idea. Well, I don't know if he can't shoot. He no—he doesn't shoot, but he's one of the strangest prospects. Cause he's, he's a, he's a three. He's a, he's barely bigger than Jimmy Butler, but he scores at the rim. You know, in transition at the rim, at a level that's just frankly ridiculous for for the college level, and it it would translate. But I waver on him because he, he, like I said, he doesn't shoot. But and I'm not sure if he's any good defensively at all. But he'd be an interesting guy. He'd help with the wing depth, and he could play small four kind of. But I'm more interested in in, uh, in Adrian Payne from Michigan State, or even well Nick Stauskas from Michigan if he makes it there. I doubt he will. He seems to people seem to think he's Cal Corber. so that I doubt he'll that will make it to 16. But Adrian Payne, I think, is becoming my primary target because he's, he's huge. He's li- he's listed at what six ten? Six 215. He's not six nine, two fifteen. I've seen him standing next to people. He's not that small. He can shoot. He's got really big hands. He can defend. He'd be a great if, if I'm not sure about Greg Smith. He'd be an ideal fourth big I think anyone would take him as a fourth big
2: yeah I I haven't had a chance to look at the film quite enough to say who I actually think is good I mean I'm familiar kind of with what guys are supposed to do but I haven't Mm -hmm. looked enough to determine come up with a good opinion of whether they can actually do that or not I think when you look at let's assume that they get Carmelo or they get someone like Kyle Lowry or, or even if they don't I think it's instructive to look at what the team needs would be in that situation. They're still, if they get Carmelo, they're still going to need a backup point guard who can score and distribute a little bit. Um, And they probably, it would be nice probably to have one more wing guy who can shoot or a big guy. But I mean, when you, if you, if they really were to get Carmelo, I mean, obviously the draft occurs before that, but the bulls will at least have some sort of a plan Going forward, I think they just need to take the best guy available because this team is going to be good enough that you're either looking at someone who's going to develop a little bit and, and help the team down the road as someone like Rose and Noah and, and Gibson age, um, or you're going to need someone who can play right away regardless of, of what their position is. So I mean, I still think, especially for the Bulls now, because they're, that's a team that probably is not going to have a ton of holes, at least on paper, before everyone starts getting injured, that you just need to take whoever, whoever the best player is.
1: Well, that's, Adrian Payne, is much, he's 23. He can play right now. He's one of the older guys in the draft.
2: And yeah, certainly yeah. his skill set is very intriguing, uh, at least what it's advertised to be.
0: The other thing that's interesting about Adrian Payne potentially on the Bulls is that he has this really weird medical condition where his lungs are actually too small for his body, and that's a problem in certain, mm-hmm. in certain circles in terms of that it might prevent him from playing heavier minutes, but the Bulls would be looking more for somebody who can be effective in less minutes, assuming they keep their general big man core together. So, of course, injuries can happen and things like that, but that they would be asking for about the right things from Payne, mm-hmm. which would be a very good fit as opposed to some other teams that might be more flawed and would need more from him. Let's move on to uh, – Nate already alluded to it. One of the things that I'm very interested in, and I I've, I've phrased it for years, is the timetable of contention. And so basically the idea is how close <clears throat> is the team to their peak – and in the Bulls' case, they might be there now or be there at the end of the summer – how, and how long do you think that will last? So it's just kind of, you know, if you were building the team and maximizing that, what would be your thoughts on that? And we'll start with Nate.
2: Well, as I said, I think this is a team that can contend, uh, assuming that Derek Rose can even get back to, you know, 85 90% of what he was. Now that's perhaps a dangerous assumption considering how much time he's missed. You know, uh, Doug Tonus, who does a nice Bulls podcast himself, mentioned as mentioned the fact that he can't think of any player who's basically missed two full years and come back to play at a superstar level. The only one I could think of is Michael Jordan. Uh, but, you know, he didn't miss because of injury. He just missed because he decided not to play. So, but I think with the amount of resources that are tied up with him, you have to make the assumption that he is going to be that championship level player, going to be at least a top 30 player in the NBA And you got to go for it because you're not doing anything else with him on your books for the next three years and championships require risk. And so you need to just act like he's going to be himself and, and go for it. And then if he doesn't, then you'll have to reboot three years from now when he comes off the books or, you know, maybe trade him in the last year of his deal or something like that. So I do think if Rose can come back to be what he is, you're going to see, you're probably going to see decline from Noah and Gibson, those guys are, you know, a little bit older than 27, which is when guys usually peak, 25 to 27. And Noah especially is very dependent on energy and athleticism. I think that this is we probably saw both his and Gibson's best year, but you should expect improvement from Butler. You should expect Im- improvement from guys like Tony Snell. Hopefully that'll all and you know Mirtich coming over as well. So he's someone who I think is only going to improve, especially as he gets into an NBA weight program. So I think really over the next couple of years that this team should be able to stay at a pretty similar level to where they're going to be next year and that they should treat The decision-making should be that we're going to try and contend in those years.
1: There's not really anything else to do. I, I don't know what else.
2: Yeah, exactly, right? I don't really know what, what what the other
1: plan would be, just to stand pat, stay with this roster, and just hope things, hope that Derek Rose is better than he ever was before. I don't really know. I mean, nobody's going to take him at this point. So, I, yeah, there's, there's nothing else to do but, but take the opportunity you've kind of built for yourself through some frugal spending and through uh, people finally realizing how average Carlos Boozer is. Just get rid of him and go for it I, there's nothing else to do this offseason really
0: do you guys have a feel yet for i've been worrying i've been not worrying thinking about this for a little bit in terms of how they are going to fit in with whatever miami might do next because miami's aging I, I feel like miami's aging faster than chicago would be if with the course that we've been talking about early during the rest of this conversation
1: well yeah miami's role players are all fairly old so they, uh, if they keep the big three together they'll reload. You know they can you can replace Shane Battier at this point. And you can I don't know if you can replace Ray Allen and have him still be Ray Allen, but you can replace. I mean it's not like you can't find another guy to do what Birdman does. And Mario Chalmers is replaceable. He's not even that old. Odin's replaceable. So if, especially if Miami wins this year, you're gonna see guys. Some of these mid some of these mid level guys head there. It just it'll happen.
2: Yeah, what what they're going to do is just that that's a whole separate podcast on its own. I think a lot of it depends on Wade. He's someone who is owed another 20 million for the next 2 years. He has the early termination option mm-hmm. this year, but it, there's no way that he's going to be worth that 20 million the, the next 2 years. So is he going to opt out and maybe take a longer deal for less money is he even willing to even if he takes a longer deal for less money let's say he takes you know what would you pay him say you know four years 48 million so that's over four years gets him eight million more than he or really seven million more than he'd make over the next two years if he stays Mm opt-in and you would have to imagine that he would make more over those next two years after his contract expires than just four million a year so Financially, there's no way it really makes sense for him to re-sign it. Basically, it's just going to be a question of, or when I say re-sign at a, at a lower number, it's basically going to be a question of what's important to him. If he's willing to to basically you know, punt on what's probably going to be at least $10 million, if not more, by re-signing at a lower amount, and then are LeBron and, and Bosch willing to do the same? If they are willing to do that, then it's going to be big trouble for everyone else who's trying to beat Miami. But you know there was a talk about them doing taking less when they came over. That was like two million a year less. That wasn't eight million a year less. And really, yeah. the only time in NBA history that I can remember guys taking that much less than they're worth, well, I guess there's two. One has been this this recent San Antonio. Maybe Dirk is going to do it this year with Dallas, from what he's talking about. And then Gary Payton and Karl Malone going yep. to the Lakers in the summer of 2003. Those are the only times I can really think of that people have taken that massive of pay cuts. So it would be relatively unprecedented. I don't think they're going to do it, but I would be very impressed with them as people who are really concerned about winning if they do. And uh, it would also terrify me as a Bulls fan.
1: Well, the thing to think about with that is that uh, that when Gary Payton and Carl Malone went to the Lakers, they were – essentially a shoe-in for the title. Like, that was a, a almost a given that they were going to win, or at least be in contention, and they were. And the Spurs, you know, they're always in contention. So especially if they win the title this year, I think that might... you could. I would be surprised if it happened because, I mean, those three obviously enjoy playing with one another. You know, I, you never hear Wade or Bosch complain. No, Wade doesn't complain that LeBron leaves the team. I mean, they're all friends, and they if they win three titles in a row, that's pretty good incentive to stay together for a little while longer. So... I think I think uh, the most terrifying thing is if if Wade leaves, you might be able to replace him at this point. I mean,
2: hard to not imagine this that though, year. isn't
1: it? Yeah, I. I, could see I him think he's the shooting. least.
0: I think he's the least likely guy to leave, honestly, yeah. because because he's the guy who has this the possibility of this identity of being the guy for that franchise, and he's he has the possibility, despite not being the best player at his own team for the last few years to be the most identified player in the history of a franchise. And I think that's a really cool distinction. Even Paul Pierce never had the chance to get that distinction. He's great of a player as he was for Boston. There's a certain cachet with that. And you lose some of that if you willingly leave.
2: Yeah, yeah. I got a question for you guys. I don't mean to hijack it, but this just occurred to me. I think it's interesting. If you are a Bulls fan, and presumably as a Bulls fan, you want Miami to be as bad as possible in future years. Do you want them to win the title this year, or not win the title this year?
1: Just with the way players think, I feel like if they didn't win the title, they'd be more likely to break things up. Just, oh, well, we obviously hit a wall with this group. Especially if they lose to the Pacers. I can see that they would kind of, I I don't know, maybe Pat Riley wouldn't overreact, but he is Pat Riley. But uh, I could see them not winning this year. It just feels like Players, players obviously don't think. I don't don't mean this to be an insult. They aren't as forward-thinking, you know, with cap situations or, but with you know, three or four years in the future, who'll be making what, as as we are. It's not. There's no reason for them to be so. Winning a title feels like, you know, why not? We just won three titles in a row. Why don't we do this again?
0: What The way that I'd phrase it is that it depends on who you think is the person to break up the big three. If you think that it's Bosh, I think that you would want them to lose this year, because I think that would lead to him having a wandering eye. If yeah. it's LeBron, who, which is who I think it is, I think you want them to win. So then he opts in for this year, or for 2014-2015, for, for and then at that point there might be a situation that intrigues him enough. And at that point he will have already gotten a three-peat, so then that whole legacy would be there, and then he's, you know, he could, you could do the whole thing of, oh, I've proven what I can prove there and I'm going to do something else, and that would open up the possibility. But if you're a Bulls fan, that might open up a possibility of him going somewhere that would be even better than the Heat would be. You know, if he combines with Kevin Love or, heaven forbid, he waits another yeah, year and combines with Durant. Was,
2: but there's nowhere in the Eastern Conference that, that LeBron's going to go that that scares me more than than where he, he already is. I, I think there's it's sort of high risk, high reward, right? If they win the championship this year, I think it's more likely that, you know, everyone could just opt in again or that they decide, okay, just having these three guys as our main guys is good enough. That's probably one of the better scenarios for the Bulls going forward because LeBron, he's slipped a little bit this year. Wade obviously slipped a little bit this year and he's, he's, uh, you know, obviously LeBron's still awesome. Don't get me wrong, but he's, He's not as good as he was last year or the year before, I don't think, especially uh, in his floor game. And Wade is going to go downhill. Bosch is probably going to continue to decline. I think he's almost 30 now, so or, or he may even be 30 at this point. So if they just continue to roll with those three guys, I think that actually – and kind of fill in around the margins, but they probably won't be able to that much, especially if those guys all opt in. Then I think that's probably a decent outcome – for Bulls fans, other than just having to watch the Heat win again, uh, but then if they lose, it could be great because LeBron just leaves or Bosh leaves or, or whoever, but it could also be really bad because then they reload a, a lot around LeBron with some younger guys or more talent, even you know if Carmelo even goes there or something like that. So it's kind of a high risk, high reward If for a Bulls fan if the Heat don't win it this year. But also, if they do win it, then you're probably ensuring that those guys stay together, which is also bad, but you know maybe not the absolute worst outcome.
0: The other thing that I wanted to ask both of you, as guys who also, I think, watch a fair amount of the Eastern Conference, is let's take the Heat aside. Of the other teams that are out there, so I would guess this would be more the Pacers and the Wizards, though there could be other teams involved, which of those kind of more on the rise, teams. Do you think is is, a, is the biggest threat to a, any success that the Bulls might want to have in the conference?
1: Washington, I think that's a fairly obvious answer. Washington's probably the most. I mean, we'll see what the Pistons do if Stan McGandy can be not Joe Dumars for a couple of years, and maybe they won't be signing these people these terrible contracts. And, but uh, Washington's probably the big one. I mean. They just handled the Bulls without Rose, sure, but they just hammered the Bulls in a five-game series. So, I mean, I don't think Toronto is going to be getting much better. You know, uh, it's going to be a while before, like, Philadelphia or Orlando is any good. The Knicks aren't going to be much of a threat. Bucks. Maybe Atlanta, because Al Horford was hurt, but I don't really know what else they're going to be doing. They have a lot of space and they have some picks. The Celtics have some picks. Yeah, most of the teams that are contenders in the East this year are either very old or just, you know, that hit their ceiling, like Toronto.
2: I agree with you on Toronto. They're, well, they do have some young guys. They could be a little better. It depends, obviously, if they re-sign Lowry and for how much money. It's going to be a really interesting offseason for Messiah Ujiri. That what might be one nice thing about potentially signing Lowry for the Bulls, uh, and Yeah, actually, I guess as a quick aside before we get back to that, what do you think of my plan, Brian, of bringing in either Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, or Lowry, and rolling with essentially a two-point guard lineup? What do you think of that? Is that good, or is that going to be too much of a problem?
1: Um, Well, I'm a little biased because Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas are two of my favorite players in the sport, but yeah, I'm all for that. Two-point guard looks are never bad. I mean, we ran with the Bulls, a two-point guard look for significant portions of games this year. And the, the two point guards were Kirk Heinrich and DJ Augustine. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like Thibodeau would have any problem playing Kyle Lowry and Derrick Rose together. Kyle Lowry can guard any, most shooting guards, not say any shooting guard. You know, I'd be, I, because, like, I, like you said, especially if the Heat stay together, you still, maybe not to the extent that Pacers do, but you still kind of make moves to counter the Heat. And I'm fine with Kyle Lowry guarding, guarding 30-plus-year-old Dwayne Wade in the playoffs. Like, I'll, I'll take that. Jimmy Butler's still there. You can guard LeBron. I mean, yeah, Kyle Lowry would be kind of a pipe dream almost for me. That'd be fantastic.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, well, so, yeah, what were we talking about before? Oh, yeah, the other, the other East contenders. Yeah. Um, I, if the Bulls – I think even if the Bulls got Rose back and he were somewhat the same – you know, even, you know the 85, 90% rows we were, we were talking about. Even if the Bulls just got Miritich and then filled in around them, I would say that the Bulls are the clear third best team in the Eastern Conference next year, possibly even second <clears throat> to Indiana, assuming that Miami comes back in something resembling their current form. The Wizards don't scare me all that much. I mean, I, I think they're good, and but. The way that they shut down the Bulls defensively is not something that I think would happen into the future, and I don't think that their offense is going to be quite good enough that it scares me either. Nene is going to go downhill. I think Ariza is not going to be as good next year if they resign. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't even know. It depends on what they do with
1: with, with Ariza and Gortat, but Beal's 20, and Beal was probably the best player in that series, so...
0: Well, and the other thing about the Wizards is that I, I think Randy Whitman's not a good coach, no. and I think that Grunfeld's not a good GM, and it oh, seems yeah. like their success this year might give them more leeway, which actually could help a team like the Bulls because that could, if they're still saddled with one or both of them when they're better because they're just getting older, and older is a good thing for them, that would actually be a huge benefit. You yeah. know, we're seeing, we've are seeing we seen it in certain mm-hmm. playoff series already this year that a, more t- a very talented team with a flawed coach can get beat by a, by a team that's similar with a substantially better coach.
2: I don't know. I think Whitman kind of gets gets a raw deal personally. I, he didn't do that much in these playoffs that I thought was just like so egregiously terrible. Certainly, I don't think there's any argument that uh, Tom Thibodeau outcoached him in that that first series, and Whitman's pressure scheme really just took the Bulls out of everything that they wanted to do, especially going down the stretch. I, you know, I thought his rotations were pretty solid throughout the, and and, and they've always, they've played good D the last two years. So I'm not sure why, I mean, I'm not saying Randy Whitman is so amazing, but I, he he doesn't strike me as an albatross the way he seems to strike a lot of other. I
1: think, I think the thing with Whitman is it, I agree that there's not a whole lot he does that that, that obviously loses them games, but I'm not sure what he does that obviously wins them games. It just seems that he's kind of a non-entity as a coach. Sort of well, a, I mean, coach, my, right? issue,
0: my issue with them is that uh, there are large moments that their offense is just kind of a train wreck, and I think that their wall is getting better, and I think that wall is, they're getting a better sense of what he does well, and Beale's a wonderful complimentary piece. I think that he could end up having a bigger role. It's just, it feels like they sometimes, that they don't, they don't offensively go for the jugular and really just kind of Take it, let's say they're doing something well, make a team stop that before doing something else. It feels like they try to get more variety and that they kind of they weaken themselves in that sense. And you didn't see it against the Bulls because they didn't really need it, but I think we saw it a little bit against the Pacers.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but we'll – so I wanted to, first, before we close, just make sure there wasn't anything else that you, lingering that you guys wanted to have as a part of this conversation for the listeners.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess maybe if we're talking about Lowry or we're talking about – Thomas, we should. It might be useful to discuss the mechanics of that a little bit more. I guess with Lowry, one thing you could do is you could also try to do the Boozer trade for him and throw throw in some assets. I don't think that Masai Ujiri would be willing to do that. He, no. he Well, I, it's interesting because that in and I I wrote about this back in February before we kind of knew how the Raptors season was going to turn out that they are at a little bit of a crossroads. I think the initial intent was to rebuild. Now, if you're going to re-sign Lowry with that team to market value, which is probably going to be something like four for 48, then where do you go from there? Is that team going to be a championship contender? They lost in the first round to what ended up looking like a relatively decrepit Nets team. Are you, If you keep Lowry, you're kind of putting a little a ceiling on how good you're going to be. Now, granted, there was so much great feeling for the Raptors with the crowds that they had and people getting back into the team that I don't know that politically, if letting Lowry go and kind of reloading to be good again in two years when guys like Balanchunas and DeRozan and Terrence Ross are at their peak it would be palatable to the people in the North. But I think that was kind of his original plan. So maybe it's possible to... Throw in kind of the Godfather assets deal of uh, the draft picks, and you know, so or someone, someone like, uh, uh, I guess, I guess uh, the draft picks would be the the major thing, and Boozer to sign and trade for Lowry, and then bring over Miritich as well, uh, or just if you're gonna sign Lowry outright then probably if you want to get Miritich also, then you're probably gonna need about fifteen million in room. So that would mean you're gonna probably have to trade away Mike Dunleavy for some kind of future assets. So you have to trade away maybe Tony Snell. It might mean, you know, trading away some of the draft picks to eliminate that cap hold. You there's some gyrations, but you could probably get pretty close to fifteen million dollars and then you offer Lowry something starting at eleven million with the maximum 4.5% annual races. And then you could have Miritich at about three point five, four million 4 million with, with the maximum races, which I think he would take because he's actually only making from the best. I could find out with my discussions with people about 1 million euros, which is about $1.4 million. That may, means it's more likely that he would yeah. take something in the 3.5 to 4 million range, even with the buyout. So, so what do you think? Do you think, what do you think happens if the bulls were to offer Lowry, about eleven point five million a year to start with.
1: I just, so I'm not sure what he would do because I feel like he wants to be the lead guard wherever he goes. That's so That's a great point.
2: Me. Great point. Like there. He, he
1: had, he's kind of that kind of guy. I have a feeling he wants to stay in Toronto. I think he's going to give them every opportunity. And I don't know if it's a bad. I mean, it definitely puts a ceiling on them, but like you said, it, 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 kind of sends a message to the fan base that they're at least going to try. Because fans are, I mean, let's, let's be honest, fans are stupid. They're, 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 except, uh,
2: except the ones that listen to this podcast. Yes,
1: obviously. No, well, I mean, the, the, the Raptors, I guarantee there's a sizable contingent of Raptors fans who think their best course to win a championship is the resign Cal Lowry. So, probably a significant amount of season ticket holders. And it, it just sends a message that the front office understands why they were successful this year, and they're going to try and replicate that. And I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a bad idea for a team that's been bad for a while to sort of build up some goodwill and build up a bigger fan base. That's what they need. That's what Pacers needed. For the longest well, time, the other, Pacers had to be, had no fan, had a none of their fan base left, and they had to build up goodwill with the, with the community again.
0: I, I think that that's a really good point with Toronto, and I think that there, I think that at a certain point, They would be happy. Obviously, Ujiri has higher aspirations, but hosting a playoff series for another couple years is pretty good for them, and I think that while there certainly are teams that are on the horizon that would be better than I think they're going to look, I think we're all in agreement on that, that they're closer to their ceiling than teams like the Wizards and obviously younger teams like the Sixers and the Celtics and all those and the Magic, but... That that's not a bad gig, and I think that they're in this really weird place also with their chronology in terms of when guys like Valanciunas and DeRozan are going to get pay raises. They're getting raises sooner rather than later, which means that you're not going to get that success and then that sp- time with cap space to then blow it up. And well, DeRozan, to blow DeRozan up and already
2: extended cap. Danny, so he's, he's yeah, that's Yeah, true. so he's he's at like you know about ten million a year, or so that's well, a pretty I, good I, I was thinking more about
0: Valanciunas. Yes,
2: yeah, guess. yeah. I, I agree with you on him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's gonna because he's gonna get a lot more money, and Lowry's gonna be getting more money too, yeah. obviously. And so, the big question with them and there's you know next season next they're still paying Landry Fields unless they can find somebody to take him, <laughs> and which is incredible when you think about all the mechanics that led to that contract. Oh, that's one of the that's one of the more incredible ones in terms of everything. But yeah, I think that and the other thing, uh, Brian brings up a good point with the lead dog part of Lowry. But I do think that the one exception to that. For a lot of those guys, especially guys that have been in a lot of different circumstances, is stability on a quality team. Yeah. I think that what would you, the what the Bulls would say is they're like, Yeah, you're not gonna get that. But you're gonna be on the team that is that you can be confident is going to be relevant the entire time you're there. You're gonna have a coach that loves that's gonna love you, because I think we can all agree that Thibodeau yeah, would love I don't Kyle think, Lowry. I
1: don't think there's any there's any risk of Lowry not having a role on that team. Like defensively he's just like a super version of Kirk Heinrich. Like, and you know, we know how much Thibodeau loves what Heinrich does. defensively. Lowry is that, you know, exponentially. So, so yeah, he would, he would love him. He would play him all and, the time.
0: And, and heaven forbid Rose gets hurt in any extended fashion, then it becomes his team. Yeah. And, and so you have, I, I think that it, we players are in a lot of ways, I hate to say this, but they're kind of like snowflakes in that they're all very different and they all have different motivations. And so the question, and I think we saw this with Dwight Howard at various points in his decision-making tree, is you just need to find out what argument works with him. And I think that what makes Kyle Lowry interesting is that the Bulls can make an argument that almost nobody else can make. And so you don't know if it's going to work, but at least you're doing something different, and they're the best at that argument. So if if you know if Carmelo doesn't work out, if the other things don't, at least you have something different there, and at least you have the moratorium. So if he says no, he's going to say no before you have to make a big decision on Boozer and anything like that. Yeah. So you can make all those pitches. You can throw everything out that you want, and unless he's going to be ridiculous and wait out until after the moratorium to choose his team, then you're fine. And there's no harm, no foul, And except for Carlos Boozer's confidence, but nobody gives a crap about that. So <laughs> – you so you you that's the one thing that I think helps the Bulls more than anything is that all of these teams are going to get a sense of, and all the players are going to get a sense of what's out there, and they'll be able to make a decision instead of the dominoes all following and having to choose which players to prioritize because you have ten days or so to figure it all out.
2: When you're you're talking about really with either Thomas who or or Lowry, if, if the two point guard lineup obviously has some pluses and minuses, I. Actually, I happen to disagree with you, Brian. I think if they're, Lowry would not be the guy defending shooting guards, it would probably have to be Rose because Lowry's really only about six foot. I know he's a bulldog and he's tough, but I you know, I don't know if he could defend shooting guards as well as well. I'd as be Rose more comfortable
1: with him. I'm not – Rose has never looked very good defending shooting guards.
2: He yeah, lost. I, I think it's, he's
1: – Off ball, Rose doesn't really seem to know what to do at the time.
2: Yeah, maybe not. I mean, it might be something that I'd have to retrain, and it would be – you know, it would be a liability. You're giving something up on defense, regardless, with either Rose or Lowry defending shooting guards. I mean, you just have to sort of hope that there aren't that many shooting guards that are going to hurt you, or you know, if there is, then they're not going to have a great small forward, and Rose could be hidden on whoever the the small forward is, and then yeah. hope that they can make it up at the other end. And also just hope that with guys like Gibson and Noah behind Rose that it's not going to be as much of an issue either. I mean, it's not, it's not ideal, but just because really, you know, Rose is a point guard, but bringing in a wing, there's, I just don't see anyone available who is a good enough shooter and who is a good enough quality of player that I'd want to spend that type of money on him. So this is the bulls one chance to spend some money, get another major piece, get the best guy on the market. And I think you could make it work, especially Offensively, with Rose and yeah. another point guard out there, that's the thinking. And if
0: we're going to talk about Butler as the third guy, the other thing to consider is that I can't think of any NBA team right now, especially after the Thunder did the Harden trade, that has a strong enough one-two-three that there's nowhere to hide somebody. There, every team has a every team has a flaw somewhere and has has a spot. And if you have a guy like Jimmy Butler as the, as the third man in that, let's say it's Lowry, Rose, and and Butler. You can put Butler on whoever the other guy in the 2-3 is, whoever the better guy is. So then while you might have some weird physical matchups, you could have some with guys as we have some where, you know, maybe Rose, if you're putting Rose on the other guy, has other physical advantages. And so there aren't many teams that can make you pay. Incidentally, Miami might be one of them for doing for having those weird lineups and for doing those sort of things. And I think that it could be a situation where, especially as we talk about the the lack of quality in general with the shooting guard position, where they get the benefit of just having no team, having that kind of perimeter depth. And so you're not really, you're losing something, but what you're losing is a lot less important than what you're gaining.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so I guess with with the idea of Lowry coming over me, I was thinking about it. I think you're right that he has shown that he has really like wanted to be the man. I think it would be okay. I don't. I don't know. I mean, he definitely has a very prickly reputation, and that may not be something that the Bulls are down with. But Lowry would start in this scenario, and I don't know that playing next to Derrick Rose is really any different than playing next to DeMar DeRozan, who also has a pretty massive usage rate as well. So I mean, that, yeah. those seem fairly similar situations. Well, oh, so come what, what come about on. yeah?
1: From a usage standpoint, I don't think Lowry would have a problem. But rose is not a point guard. I mean, Lowry brings the ball up. Lowry dominates. He doesn't dominate the ball, but he's the point guard. It's just a sort of—I yep. don't think guys look at their usage rates when they talk when they think about like being the lead <laughs> guard. Some guys might, have, like Igoudala probably does, but you know, like Rondo might. Rondo might, yeah, yeah, and, and Rondo is the lead. Like he's obviously been that. But uh, I just feel like Kyle Lowry would have some. I'm not sure he'd agree so readily, but I also think yeah.
2: – No, I agree with you. It's an issue.
1: We, we talked about uh, what the Bulls can offer in, in, you know, with their pitches. I'm worried that the, what they think they can offer is like sending Lowry a picture of Ron Harper and be like, can you fill this? Can you fill these shoes? Like, <laughs> cause I just have a feeling that they, they're going to assume that Kyle Lowry wants to be that guy because they obviously don't understand – what it is players want if they're sending LeBron, if they're having LeBron sent, you know, Jordan shoes and his ring cases and all this garbage.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, at least they've advanced beyond like Benny the Bull meeting Tracy McGritty at the airport. I, I don't think they're as tone deaf as as everyone necessarily believes they are. So what about what about Thomas? What would you What would you offer him?
1: Probably less than Lowry, just for the fact that it, it, oh yeah, for
2: sure. If Lowry can't guard twos and
1: Isaiah Thomas can't guard twos, but I, I do love him. I think he's. I think he's, he's going to chase the biggest contract he can get. You know, last pick in the draft had to prove himself. I think he's going to go after whoever gives him the, the biggest chunk to change. And I don't know if that's going to be the Bulls, but I'd be in favor of it if it was.
0: Would eight would do you think would eight million be something Brian that you would uh, offer him if that was that, that a number, little high
2: that's the number I had in mind I think that's what it would take to have <laughs> yeah, a realistic chance of getting yeah. it otherwise Sacramento I, just matches
1: less than that. he's
2: restricted think, let's not forget to mention that I don't I don't think less than eight
1: would be would be anything he I don't think he paid attention to it Well, the
0: other thing I wanted to ask you guys, there's one really interesting CBA thing that we're learning with the Chandler Parsons situation that I think affects with Miritich. And so the idea is basically if he signs a three-year contract, then he is a restricted free agent at the end of it. If he signs a four-year contract, then that is not his rookie scale contract. And Nate, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. He becomes an unrestricted free agent. And so would you be willing to – give him that fourth year, even let's say it's for less total years, but then lose the ability to have have re-sign him as a restricted free agent.
2: I'm willing to do whatever gets him to come over here and take the least amount of money at this point. Uh, I mean, I think, I think it's, that's, if he wants the extra year, if I, if I were him, I probably don't want the extra year. Um, I think I would be fine being a restricted free agent. In fact, in fact, for restricted free agents who are actually good, I think some research has shown that those guys actually get paid a little more because any offer has to be a godfather offer that's designed to yeah. make the team not match. Now, if you're bad, you probably don't want to be a restricted free agent but if because you're just not going to get any offers at all. But if you're good like he, I'm sure, expects to be and like I expect him to be, then I think I would I would go for the three-year deal.
1: Whatever gets him over the quickest is the best option because I'm just signing him to a restricted deal, a three-year deal. <laughs> In three years, are we really, really worried about the the, the cash space in the same way? Like roses will be off the books by that point. Like, it you know it's it's not going to be it's not going to matter either way. I don't think if the it, window's not closed by then, then I guess we can worry about it.
2: But yeah,
0: it is interesting to me. I'm looking at you know the salary structure for the Bulls, and obviously they'll be paying some people more than they already are. But three years from now is the same year that Taj and Rose expire. So that would kind of, a three-year thing would also give them some interesting flexibility in terms of knowing what they have and either reloading or just kind of changing around the structure of the team. Though, obviously, I think we all assume that Noah will be on the books then as well.
2: One thing we should mention for everyone, I don't know if we did say this. I mean, we know it, but for some listeners who don't, Isaiah Thomas is a restricted free agent. I mean, I guess we, we touched on that, but we have to make it clear that if the Bulls hope to get him, they would have to offer enough that Sacramento is not gonna match it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, unless they're willing to take a small asset in a sign in trade like they did for Tyreek Evans, but again that was an issue of the that was an issue of the Pelicans offering Tyreek more money than the Kings were willing to pay. They just were able to get an asset in Grievous Vasquez out of that. I wonder if the
2: Kings want their pick back. <laughs> that's a good that's a good point. I, I mean that'd
1: be the first thing I'd offer them in a sign in trade.
2: Remember this pick, guys? You used to have this.
0: And we have seen teams trade back for their own picks before. I remember I was doing a. I think I was doing a piece on Minnesota, and I was tracking a piece, and I'm like, wait, this is their pick, but it went to three other teams before they got it back. There's something intriguing about that for some reason.
1: It's a do over. Yeah. It's sort of an undo button, I guess.
0: So we're doing a little bit of an addendum to this because. Over the night after we recorded this, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Timberwolves are actually considering trading Kevin Love for the first time, and the Chicago Bulls are a team that is on the list. So I think that the best place to start with this is what might be an easy question, but would you rather have Kevin Love instead of Carmelo Anthony, and we'll get into what that means after.
1: Short answer, yes. Uh, the long answer, also yes. It's not really much of a... <laughs> There's not really much to consider, personally. I mean, uh, I have turned around on Melo to to an extent. I thought he played really hard this year, and he's definitely settled into kind of a smaller four, better than I think he ever was as a three. But Love is 26 and 13 and five, almost, shoots an obscene amount of three-pointers and hits at a very high rate without sacrificing his rebounding, his incredible rebounding percentages. And he's just, yeah... He's a top six, seven player, and I don't think I don't think Melo
2: is. So it's
1: an easy answer for me.
2: So, so you're telling me that the younger, <laughs> better, and less expensive guy is who you'd be interested in? Yes. Yeah, the other,
0: the other part of,
2: of it with Kevin
0: Love is that he's on the right side of his development curve. You know, Carmelo's 30, and he's going to be presumably getting worse, whether we're talking physically or just, you know, in general. And Love should be getting better. The other part of it to me is that Love fits really well with Joachim Noah, in my mind. Yeah.
2: No, that's, yeah, I, that's absolutely true. And as you mentioned, Carmelo, the first couple of years, he'll probably be worth whatever salary he gets. The, the second couple years of, of his contract, he's not really going to be worth it, probably. And Love is someone who, over the next four years, even if he's making the max, is very likely to be worth well more than that. So it definitely is, is a no-brainer to me that that should be priority one for the Bulls. Yeah.
0: Thinking about, then, the fact that obviously it would be a trade – and we've talked a little bit about what you would give up for Carmelo, and Nate, we'll start with you. What do you think would be a reasonable starting place for what the Bulls would give up in that sort of trade?
2: Well, it would probably almost certainly have to be Nikola Miritich, and I think that Miritich is someone certainly that is an attractive asset. The Wolves shouldn't have any trouble paying him an amount that would entice him to come over. There's been some talk about how they would have to get that figured out. I think that they could pay him enough to make it worth it and still have him be a value contract. Carlos Boozer would almost certainly have to be included for salary purposes. and But then he expires after, after one year. That's one big thing that could make the Bulls offer, in addition to draft picks, of course, that could make the Bulls offer much more attractive than Golden State's because any Golden State deal would likely have to include David Lee, and he goes on for another year after Boozer on a salary that's going to be pretty darn close to dead money by the second of those years in the 2015-16 season. So you got Boozer, you've got Miritich, and then pretty much... I would say just about any draft pick that they want, (laughs) you know, three first rounders. I would absolutely even go that far now, not right away because there's a question of, are there going to be deals to beat that? And I don't know that even there's another team out there. That's also a contender. Uh, You know, we can debate about whether Phoenix is that, but that's also a contender. That's actually going to beat this offer by the Bulls that I'm talking about, even if it's, say, two first-round picks. So, yeah, I mean, I think that would that would pretty much be the structure of an of an offer. Maybe Taj Gibson could be involved and the Bulls could take back something like Kevin Martin instead, so, who's long salary and is not really going to be worthwhile for the Timberwolves if they're rebuilding. Um, Taj Gibson probably isn't either, given how old he is, but... He's someone who's probably at least a a valuable contract after the way he played in the playoffs. The Timberwolves could flip him as well, so maybe a third team could get involved either before or after. So that's what I'm looking at for this.
1: We also have, again, we have the picks from the Deng trade, which I think would be attractive. More attractive than maybe the picks this year. I don't know. I I assume they'd be involved. Mirtich would be involved. And to refresh
2: everyone's memory, that pick is... From Sacramento, top 10 protected through 2017, and then it converts into, I believe, uh, a second rounder if it does not get conveyed by 2017.
0: So, the other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about is how Jimmy Butler fits into that. Because I think we, we talk about how, you know, other draft picks and all that, but the nice thing about Jimmy Butler is that he's a piece that can help both in the immediate and the long term for them, and the fact that they're not as constrained in terms of salary, could, depending on, obviously, what happens with Love. So would you? where does he fit in terms of your willingness with, let's say, the draft picks and Taj Gibson in terms of ordering for you guys?
1: I would prefer, I think he would be behind Noah, obviously, would be my, I'd be least, likely. I'd be least favorable to trade, but I would absolutely throw him in. Now Jimmy and Taj and the pick and that's too much, but you know if it's if it's him or Taj, I would probably go with Taj to, to be traded. But uh, I mean I'm not gonna am not gonna sit here and say that they shouldn't trade Jimmy Butler for Kevin Love. That's it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I think I disagree with you on that. I would rather trade Butler than Taj because there's just we don't have the evidence that Butler can even be an average offensive player, but more importantly, Butler is about to start making almost as much as Taj Gibson is, and Taj Gibson is another guy who would be great in reserve units. The fit with Love would be fantastic, with Love as sort of a beefier guy and Taj able to move his feet and block some shots. Love can control the the defensive glass when they're all in there. I mean, with Noah, Taj, and Love, then you've really got – a front-court rotation, you don't even really need a fourth big man. And Wings, who with who are about like Jimmy Butler, who are making $6 million a year or so, or whatever we think he might get in an extension ultimately, I think those are less rare commodities than what Taj Gibson brings. Uh, but uh, it's probably cl- pretty close, at least. I
1: think we have evidence that Jimmy Butler can be a, good, a decent offensive player. He, he was for most of last season in a in a reduced role but he was the most efficient guy on the team by a pretty significant margin so yeah all right if, fair if, if he can if he can be forced to not take the shots that Derek Rose would should be taking then he's a lot more useful but i feel you
0: the other thing about jimmy butler is that i think his offensive negatives actually become less catastrophic when you add in an offensive powerhouse like kevin love at the 4 i think that what he what he gives you in a way it would parallel what Golden State has done in terms of if they, obviously Kevin Love is a far better player than than David Lee offensively but the idea of having a strong defensive 3 and a strong defensive 5 and having a shaky 4 in between them is something that can work in a in a system that's successful. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to ask you guys is there's a, an unusual nature with Kevin Love because of the the way the CBA works in terms of extensions that he can't formally really sign an extension at this point, though he could, I guess, conceptually commit to opting in, kind of like Dwight did. But they, would, you, would you feel comfortable without getting direct assurances from him that he will resign to do a deal like this?
2: No, but you still no. have to do it anyway. <laughs> I'd be pretty terrified. There's a very realistic scenario in which he comes over. I mean, you know, he could – I don't know why he would say that he's going to to resign uh, unless the Bulls say, "Hey, we're not doing this trade unless you at least opt in for one more year and give up your early termination option." That might be an option that management could pursue, like they did, uh, the Clippers did with Chris Paul. But I think that uh, it would be terrifying if he could still be a free agent because it doesn't make any sense for him to extend, as we talked about beforehand. Uh, before he becomes a free agent, because he can get a five-year deal as opposed to a three-year extension once he becomes a free agent. And there's a very realistic scenario in which Derrick Rose just gets hurt again or isn't the same, and the Bulls end up, you know, being a pretty 48-win team or so with Love on on the squad, losing the second round, and he says uh, adios because he's now pretty much in the same place that he was with the Wolves, albeit in a weaker conference. So. I mean you're now you're almost doubling down on Rose's health to do this and you're you're making a potential rebuild much more difficult if things don't work out this year but I mean if you can get Kevin Love on your team and I mean even just for this year that I think the Bulls would be pretty darn close to championship favorites if Rose could look like in the preseason like he was back to some extent um so yeah got to do it I think
1: I'm not entirely sure that they'd be that much worse off, depending on what they traded. Like,
2: I think yeah, if, I mean, we're talking we could, about trading quite a few drafts. So.
1: I think if uh, there's no assurance that Love would waive his elimination option, or even that he'd sign an extension, then I think Miracic probably shouldn't go, but I imagine the Wolves would insist. So it, it's tricky, but I think, I think if he went to a place like Golden State or Chicago, or even Houston, he probably be a lot more likely to waive it. Just feeling like with what he what he wants out of this, he just wants to compete.
0: Yeah, and the, the interesting thing about it to me is that we're we're in a situation where if the Wolves are looking to trade him, there are teams that combine the desired things that he's looking for: so quality teammates, a chance to win, even if you want to say a good city, and teams that have trade assets. And so in a lot of ways. It depends on how much force Love is going to put in. You know, is he going to narrow it down to a couple teams? Because he can do that in in a lot of ways. And what do the Wolves want? Because as we've said, you know, there are a lot of interesting trade options, let's say, on the Bulls. And if they want to go more short-term, if they want to get a guy like Taj Gibson because he's a good defensive player next to Pekovic, then, you know, if if they're going to say they want that, then that's something that the, the Bulls can roll with. So it'll be interesting to see what each party wants in these negotiations.
2: It'll be really interesting to see, as you said, because I don't know if I would even trade Minnesota, even given what Love is, uh, I don't know if I'd even trade if I were Minnesota, even given what Love has been saying about maybe wanting to leave in free agency, because you know, you're know, you just going right back down that same rebuilding path that they've been on for the last eight years. This is a team that, by point differential, should have been in the playoffs last year in the Western Conference. You know, they could easily you could easily make the argument that they have 50 win talent. They can probably add, you know, maybe one more piece through the full mid level exception this summer. Maybe make some other trades. Who knows exactly what that would be? Maybe uh, Gorgie Dang uh, gets a lot better, and maybe this team gets to be good. Now, on the other hand, there's a crapload of competition in the Western Conference so even if they do get better it's hard to see them being a team that's so good that Kevin Love is like oh yeah it's a better situation than some other places that I might go but really maybe you take the 25 percent chance 40 percent chance whatever it is that you get real good and he stays rather than trading him just because credible superstars are so hard to find and then you say, all right, if he leaves, you know what? We've got the cap space, so, you know, we'll just do it that way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the other thing I'll add with that is the idea that what is Minnesota – if you replace Kevin Love with inferior players, and I think everybody's going to agree that whatever they're getting, unless they do really well, they're going to be inferior, how, how likely is it that they're going to make the playoffs in the West anyway? You know, Is it that important to finish 10th in the West versus finishing 13th in the West? And that downside risk for them is – I mean, I just think that while you're getting assets, it's going to need to be something, to me, really good to do that. And it's the same reason why – or similar to why Oklahoma City should never even consider trading Kevin Durant because you're never going to do better than him in a trade unless you get lucky – and so what's the, real, what's the real risk there in that sense? So one of the interesting factors in all of this is there are a bunch of teams that are offered. I made a reference last night on Twitter that I think there are 29 teams that are interested in Kevin Love. But we can, <laughs> we can narrow that list down substantially. And what I was thinking about with you guys is are there teams that have been bandied about that you think are less likely targets for whatever reason?
1: I think the Lakers are, are an incredibly unlikely target. Just, what do they have? They, I mean, first, what do they, What do they? aside from their pick this year, what, if anything, would the Timberwolves even want? Would they want Jody Meeks? Would they want, you know, they would want Powell. Powell's not going to be back. They're not going to want Jordan Hill. Jordan Hill's nice. He's a fine player, but I don't think he's the centerpiece of a deal to get Kevin Love. And even if he goes there, what are you going to do with Kobe Bryant? making 23 million this year and 25 next year like 37 year old Kobe Bryant making 25 million dollars isn't going to be winning any titles I'm, I don't think
2: I can understand the thought of teams like the Lakers and Celtics or fans of those teams rather thinking well we have a high lottery pick that individual asset is probably <laughs> as good as or better than anything that a contender could offer But the problem is once you look a little deeper, because love can't really extend and it doesn't make sense for him to do so financially or to be in a winning situation, you've got now those teams giving up an asset to get love. They're already bad. There's not really a realistic scenario in which a team like the Celtics or Lakers could get love and then get to be good enough after one year to where he's going to want to stay. So then he probably ends up leaving anyway, and if you're management from a team like that, why are you going to give up a bunch of assets when it looks like Kevin Love might leave? And if you're Kevin Love, why would you opt in or say that you're going to stay there when even if you go to a team like that, you're probably to be in the same boat as you were with the Timberwolves? So yeah. I don't think it's realistic that any of these lottery teams, other than maybe Phoenix, that's being talked about as a potential destination that that's actually going to come to fruition. I would How say long? it's
1: slightly less or more feasible for, like, the Celtics. if for the only. I mean, they don't have nearly the, the cap committed to someone like Kobe, and they're in the Eastern Conference, so it's plausible that they could make a run in, like, a second or third round with him. But, yeah, it's, it's not likely. I don't see why both of the – I saw a lot of Lakers fans on Twitter making a really good – really simple point. Why would you trade an asset when you still, by all accounts, they would have a decent shot at him in free agency if he ever hits it? So, why trade an asset now when you have just as just as good a chance of getting him when, when he hits the open market? I mean, yeah,
0: two two things with that. I think I think the Lakers might have learned from Dwight Howard that trading for a guy early doesn't make them more likely to resign with you if you're LA because that can take away the allure. I think that, that that's a big factor. And the other factor with them is if Kevin Love wants to go to the Lakers, he just shouldn't be traded because then then that keeps the asset because the best the best thing selling point beyond them being the Lakers that the, they have for him is a early lottery pick that blossoms because Kobe Bryant is not a major selling point for Kevin Love. Kobe Bryant's going to be gone after the 2016 season. And so he's not a selling point, so you're going to need something else beyond L.A. And so if that's Andrew Wiggins, if that's Joel Embiid, whatever it is. So the Celtics, I think, are a little bit different because they have other potential selling points and the fact that I don't know that Kevin Love is going to choose them outright unless they absolutely demolish this draft in a good way. So they might need to do the, okay, we're going to sell him. But to me, the Lakers, there is absolutely no reason that they should trade for Kevin Lott. None. So then, given that, who do you guys think are the most realistic contenders for him with the Bulls? And I think we all agree that the Bulls are front runners, should they be willing to give up those assets.
1: The Bulls, uh, Golden State, Phoenix. You know, the, the obvious contenders, the ones we've mentioned. Is that Phoenix has a, I mean, they have just... An army of draft picks, and they have a lot of space, and they were really good this year, and they kind of have a void at the four. Like Channing Price is a good player, but I don't think he'll be back. So yeah, they they are, uh, and they're an interesting destination for him.
2: Yeah, I think you would have to look at the Bulls as a front runner if he actually does get traded, because they are the best intersection of assets and being able to contend if he gets traded there. And The Warriors don't quite have the package to put together, and Phoenix may not necessarily be good enough if he goes there, and Houston, I'm not sure what package they have if they're going to retain Harden and Howard, and that's about all the potential destinations I can really think of, frankly.
0: The only other one, because I'm an insane person, is if Bosch opts out and re-signs with the Heat, he could theoretically be a centerpiece at the trade deadline, which would be very interesting if if Miami wanted to try to do that. Just because I feel like if any dominoes can break for Miami, it's going to happen. So that's the other one. But yeah, I think that the the challenging thing with it is going to be what love really wants you know does he want to get in the situation now because he's not going to get the security of an extension right now we all know that so does he want to be in the situation and get sold on it or would he rather just get wooed a year from now and we'll learn a lot about what he wants now too okay well well thank you guys so much for taking the time it was great to have you on again to fill this little last void
2: all right all right good to be on
0: Thanks so much to both of our guests. We have Brian Schroeder of Hardwood Paroxysm and Bulls by the Horns, and you can also follow him on Twitter at c o s m i s, as well as Nate Duncan of BasketballInsiders.com, where you can read him, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. That's N-A-T-E-D-U-N-C-A-N, N-B-A. NBA. Really loved having both of them on. They both do excellent writing, both on and and off the Bulls, and it was really great to make what the Eliminated series has always kind of been something that can be recorded and put out at any point, but to make it really topical and was fun that it happened that way and that everybody really wanted to do it and we found the time to do that again the day after we spent more than an hour on talking before that. So, really loved having them on. We'll continue to do the series, as I always say. If there are people that you want to have on as guests, please submit them to me. You can hit me up on Email at daniel.leru at realgm.com. That's my email. Or you can send them to me on Twitter at dannieleru. That's D A N N Y L E R O U X. I really appreciate all feedback. And just as importantly, if there's somebody that you want to have on, you should let them know too. So maybe you can send them something saying, hey, you should come on Real GM Radio, and we'll get that, get in touch. And we have had guests come on in that way. It's a lot of fun to get that kind of interaction. And as I always say, I promise that. If you provide a thoughtful response, I will respond back in kind. I like to have dialogues and conversations, so that's one of the things that makes this so much fun for me is to interact with fans. It's a lot of fun, and obviously the guests, everything else. So assuming at some point we'll get back to a more normal guest schedule, but whenever an opportunity presents itself to do a podcast, I will do it, and I will make sure that it happens and try to get it out as swiftly as possible. It was so much fun to do this one, And we'll continue to keep going strong with The Eliminated and going on with Topical Pieces as well. Thanks so much, take care, and make it a great day.